Amen. Well, as I said, if you do have your bullets in there and you've got your sermon outline, what we're doing this morning is we're continuing in our series in Ephesians. And this, in particular, this portion is still dealing with, in Ephesians, the rich doctrine found in chapters 1 through 3. Rich doctrine of Christ Jesus, rich teaching from God's word. And as we move soon into chapters 4 through 6, we get more into the practical rich living. What does it look like as people to live richly? But just because we're not there yet doesn't mean that God's word doesn't still, through rich doctrine, show us how we can live richly too. It's a both and and it's an experience and it's that is enjoyable because as you learn doctrine, as you understand God's word better and you understand him better, it helps you to live better. It helps you to live in a way that you acknowledge him and stand before him unashamed of what you know and what he has helped you to see through his word. And so that's where we're going this morning. That's where we're headed. And we're doing that by taking a look at Ephesians 3 verses 1 through 13. So follow along with me this morning as I read. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. The Lord's word is rich and the Lord's word is strong. And as you enter in, as, you, as we dive into this passage this morning, one piece, one component is this terminology of the mystery. The mystery, Paul introduced it in chapter 1, and he mentions the mystery in chapter 1, and we talked about it in chapter 1. We even um, kind of saw what it was in chapter 1, but here he's going to give a, a dive in further of what is the mystery of this gospel? What is the mystery? And as a result of looking at this mystery, as Paul unpacks the mystery to us, 
one theme that comes out from these verses is the theme that I've titled the message this morning, the unlikely candidate. Unlikely candidate. And I was, ex- I was rather excited because as I was studying for God's word and I was mostly studying for this sermon last week before when I knew I had a Sunday off with Dr. Kessler being here and, and preaching. And then when he emailed me during the week and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a, a sermon through Luke, from Luke and I'm going to preach this sermon and it's going to be about how God uses ordinary people. And then I'm studying the sermon in this text for this sermon where Paul preaches and Paul is teaching. And I realize that, you know what, this is a similar, real similar. I almost used the same sermon title as we had last week because it's similar. Instead, I changed it up a little bit. But Paul views himself in this passage as an unlikely candidate, an unlikely candidate to preach the mystery that God is going to reveal. I was thinking about that mystery a lot this week and thinking about the terminology of mystery. Thinking about what is a mystery in this world? What are some of this world's mysteries? I, I, this week when I was flying, I was at the O'Hare Airport and I, I saw, I looked out the windows. Actually, I was walking to get an Aunt Anne's pretzel. <laughs> I had a big, big two-hour layover and O'Hare to get my way, on my way back home to Grand Rapids. And so I was walking through the airport to go and find an Aunt Anne's pretzel. And when I got there, it was closed, just so you know. Rather disappointing. But I saw this, and I looked out. And I've been in and out of O'Hare Airport a lot of times, because we lived in Chicago. And when you live in a town with a big airport, you find a lot of reasons to use it, OK? And so Annalise and I used to fly a lot, a couple trips, multiple trips a year. We went to, to, to see her family in Texas, to see her family in Idaho. Um, to go down in Florida and visit family. And so we, we traveled a lot when I was in, in college and we were married together. And when I was finishing up my uh, master's degree, we traveled a lot. But this is something that's unusual to me. I hadn't really seen this site before ever at O'Hare Airport. I've seen it at other airports, but never really at O'Hare before. And what this line of people are, and, and it's much bigger than this. I, I really could stack multiple photos to show you of all these people on the curbside. This isn't the curbside pickup where your family comes and gets you. This is the Uber line. <laughs> this is people, now they're not technically in line because they're linking up to their phone. They're waiting for an actual driver to show up and get them. But this is a line of people waiting for their Uber ride to come. And this was like 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night on Friday night. Waiting, just waiting for the Uber to come and get them. And I think, I don't know, I can't explain this to you, but this didn't used to be the case in O'Hare Airport. I think maybe the pandemic might have changed. I, you know, I haven't flown much there since the pandemic. Maybe people are less willing to take public transport that can get you to and from anywhere really easy. So maybe that's why the increase. But all of a sudden I realized, I looked out and I said, that is a ton of people just waiting for a ride. And I don't know if you travel much or how often you do, but one of the things that always blows my mind traveling is how many people there are at the airport. How many people, when you go to park at Grand Rapids, how many cars are in Grand Rapids flying in and out of Grand Rapids? You're thinking, I thought this was a tiny airport. Look how many cars are in the parking garage. Look how many parked cars are in the parking lots outside. You go, then you fly to a bigger airport like Atlanta or O'Hare or 
You fly to some of these bigger hubs, Dallas, and you go, look at all these people. And one thing that's been happening for me a lot lately in travel is I've had layovers because of Grand Rapids, so I've been flying to these bigger airports, and I've just been sitting in airports. And it's overwhelming for me, actually, because of my heart for people to know Jesus, to sit in a chair and watch thousands of people pass by me wondering, do they know him? To me, that's a mystery of the world. A mystery of is travel and how travel works and how it works so well. It's this big, massive mystery, but what's a bigger mystery sitting in the airport is the mystery of people need the Lord. People need the Lord. What a big mystery. And this morning, I think Paul realizes the mystery as well. And the mystery is tied to Jesus Christ. The mystery is tied to Jew and Gentile relationship. And the mystery is tied to the fact that unlikely candidates are used to preach God's word to those who need it. So this morning, the first thing that we're going to see in the outline, and the first thing we're going to see through the passage is this grace that was given to Paul. The grace that was given to Paul. Look at verse 1 with me. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Pause. For this reason. He's looking back at chapter 2. Because, and the last sermon I preached in Ephesians chapter 2, because of the unity that's now found in Christ Jesus, that was the theme of our sermon last, because we are all united in Christ, because we all belong together to one family, because Jew and Gentile are now together, because of this, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then you have to forward... All the way down to verse 13. Because of this reason, verse 13, for this reason, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Chapter 1, or verse 1, verse 13 are actually the sentence Paul was meaning to communicate. He was saying, you know what, because of this unity in Christ and because you are dwelling in the spirit with God, because we have this unity as believers, because you understand me better, for this reason, I'm a prisoner of Christ, but I don't want you to be discouraged. That's really the message he was trying to give. But literally, in the middle of verse 1, as he's trying to communicate to them not to worry about him, he stops and he pauses. Because he realizes there's a little bit he hasn't covered with them in this letter that they need to know and understand. Before he can finish his sentence, he has to stop and give them this, this long. And this is one of many, Annalise would call it a run-on sentence, and so would my English teacher in, in high school. Verses 2 through 12 are one big sentence, one big thought that he pauses to give. And the first little section of that, the first little section of this, is that there was grace given to Paul. He reminds them that he's, he's not, and as a matter of fact, in verse 1, I'm not a prisoner of Rome, but what am I a prisoner of? I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
Yeah, I'm in prison. Yes, I'm writing this to you from prison, but I'm not a prisoner of Rome. Rome can't put me in bars. They can't lock me up. The only person who controls that is Jesus. And because I'm a prisoner of Christ and I've been locked up, I'm trusting him. He has me here for a reason. So I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul, when he has this sufferings, what we would call suffering, he turns to the Lord. I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm a prisoner of him. And I'm a prisoner of him because of the sake of you, the Gentiles. I'm a prisoner because of you, the Gentiles. I'm, I'm, I'm in prison to teach you. I think Paul would emphasize, as he does in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 7, that this, that for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's what Paul, Paul's emphasizing. You know what? This is a momentary issue, but what's far outweighed is the glory of God that comes because I was able to preach to you, the Gentiles. And so this is more than of what he's going to preach. And the thing that he wants to teach them about at first here, he wants to emphasize with them, is this mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery. Verse 2 through 3. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. The first mystery Paul's referencing here is the mystery that God has allowed him to preach to the Gentiles. Because to him, again, this religious leader in the history of the Jewish church, the Jewish religion, the Jewish temple worship system, he would never have been asked or allowed to preach specifically to the Gentiles. He wouldn't have done that. He never would have. And as a matter of fact, even now, as Paul starts, as, as Paul had started his ministry, the reason that they hate Paul is because he is preaching God's word to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul first accepts the Lord Jesus as his Savior, He's put on a commission, and his commission is this, to preach God's word to the Jews and to the Gentiles. So for, for chapter, verse 2, he says, you've heard about the administration, the working of God, God's plan, how God is working things out of God's grace that was given to me. There's this mystery that was given to Paul. He's saying this is, this is a mystery itself. That is, verse 3, the mystery made known to me by revelation. It was revealed to him by Christ. This plan, the administration of the plan, the plan that's going, and he says, I've already written about this briefly because in chapter 2, he has written some about it. In chapter 1, he had written some about it. And it's possible in other letters that may have not surfaced to them, he may have already written about some of these, the mystery of this revelation that he had been given. But this was the, this was the mystery revealed to Paul. And the history of this, the history for Paul of the mystery 
led him to be willing to be suffering. It led him. Whatever this mystery is, whatever he's doing, he's willing to suffer for it. And he's willing to be a steward of God's grace to the people. He's wanting to teach them. He's wanting to tell them. He's wanting to show them this mystery. And it's revealed now as never before, Paul says. Look at verses 4 through 5. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So this mystery is revealed now as never before. And the church's past, as we mentioned, Jew and Gentile believer did not belong together. There were some rare circumstances with Ruth where she was accepted into the lineage of Christ. Where she was an outsider and she was welcomed in. She was allowed to be used by God. There are some rare instances where others in the community and, and culture around were adaptive and they were willing to accept and they were willing to follow Christ and they were willing to become from foreigners to adapt to the culture of the Jewish religion and become part of God's family. They were willing to do that. But even still, as we learned with the temple before, the temple was still segregated. If you were a Gentile believer in Judaism, you were not allowed to enter into the inner temple and worship with the people. There was an outside area that was for you. And Paul is saying, this is, he's just proving a point that they all know. And generations past, this mystery of Christ was never revealed to them. They weren't able to have access to this. This mystery was revealed to me. This mystery was being revealed now unlike it has ever been revealed before. And what is the mystery? And he, he gives us verse 6. The mystery is this, that grace is given to all. Grace is given to all. Verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. What becomes evident in Paul's preaching to this point in Ephesians is this. He was worried, deeply concerned about separation and segregation in the church. That cultures would be separated, that ethnic backgrounds would be separated, that communities would be separated, that original believers in Christ Jesus would be separated from the new believers in Christ Jesus, that he was worried that Jews would separate themselves from Gentiles. He was worried and concerned that there would be this effort to separate. And even though, to me as a pastor and studying for this passage, I thought to myself a few times, he's already covered some of this. He's already covered some of this. You know, we've already seen in last, in chapter 2 at the end that we're united in Christ and there needs to be no longer any barriers or walls of hostility, right? Well, I think Paul is going one step further than he did in chapter 2. Not only does he realize that he needs to 
come back and say, not only are there no dividing walls, no more hostility between Jew and Gentile, but I really need to overemphasize that the Jews and the Gentiles, they have the same grace. It's the same path of salvation for both. And as a matter of fact, in verse 6, that the Gentiles are now, now heirs together with the Jews of the promise. They have the same promise, the same hope, the same relationship with Christ. It's all in a level playing field. And how does Paul know this? How does Paul understand this the best? It's the headline of our three points there. The grace was given to him first. It was given to him first. It was revealed to the apostles and the prophets. Christ himself made known to them, this is something you need to emphasize. That faith is for all. Faith is for all. No one's excluded. No one is ignored. No one is dismissed. No one is rejected. But this grace, this mystery is for all. It's for everyone. And it was hidden in ages past, but now it's being revealed. One of the most amazing things, as I was studying this passage, I came across this whole segment of study in which they looked at, the commentators were looking at the Old Testament. And they were realizing and showing that Old Testament believers had all this prophecy about the Messiah, but of course they didn't understand it. They didn't understand who Jesus was going to be. They didn't understand that, that he was going to come and be the suffering shepherd for them and die in their place and die for the flock. They didn't understand all those things. But it was predicted in the Old Testament. It was predicted that Christ would come and do these things. More predictions in the Old Testament were to come true in the New Testament era. More predictions in the Old Testament are still to come true yet today. And they didn't understand that. They didn't know. They thought those old passages were talking about old things, but some of those old passages were actually talking about new things, things they had never seen or heard. And Paul is excitedly telling them, now, in the new age of this church, and the, the thing that's forming now through God, these mysteries are being revealed to us. What formerly was confusing or hidden is now made available. It's now being known. And he's preaching that way on purpose because some of them are sitting in the pews and they're doubting Jesus. They're doubting who he is. They're doubting that is he, was he really the Messiah? Was it really he? And so Paul and the early church apostles like him would take them back to the Old Testament and show him, look, when Jesus talks about the cross, when he talks about grace given to all, when he take, talks about these things that the gospel would be for all and that Christ would come to die and the suffering shepherd, when he talks about all of this, it was talking about the Messiah. Don't you see? Can you open your eyes and see now these mysteries that are being revealed to us in the church age unlike they've ever been revealed before? And for Paul, it was so exciting. For them, it was so exciting. For that early church to realize our 
Old Testament scrolls that we have are now opened up to us in a whole new light. Because when you look at the Old Testament, it reveals Christ and who he is. And it pours even on further to the teaching of Paul in the New Testament. And so he's passing on this teaching that now it's revealed to you as never before given. And so this was the grace given to Paul. The grace given to Paul was to be God's servant. The grace given to Paul was to be God's servant. And not only just to be God's servant, but how did that come? How did that work out? What, what ways was he going to be God's servant? And it was going to be this, by God to preach the mystery despite Paul's past. I don't know about you, but I know there are things in my past that I am not proud of. There are things in my past that I'm ashamed happened, that I'm ashamed I ever would let happen. I'm ashamed of the sin and the weight of sin. And, and you know what? I look back and I realize there were a lot of consequences for some of the sins in my life that I deserved. The weight of sin is death. And so anything less than death is actually a gift because we deserve death for our sin. And I look back and I realize, you know what? My past, my past is bad. Paul looks back and Paul is going to show us, you think your past is bad. Take a look with me at mine and, and, and he's going to acknowledge this thought. He's acknowledging that. Verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel, he says, by one thing. By the gift of God's grace given to me. Through the working of his power. Paul, one of the greatest authors in the Bible, says, you know what? None of this is my own. This was a straight gift from God to me through God's power. And then in verse 8, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. It's one of those things that in church, you just don't want to take something for this, like this for granted. Paul, one of the greatest spiritual mentors we have yet to this day, acknowledges something very important. Before Christ, not only was I nothing, but before Christ, I was the worst. Why does he think that? Why does he understand that? Go there with me. You know. Because he was the chief persecutor of the Christians. I just can't fathom that he stands up in the pulpit to preach and teach. And of course, there wouldn't necessarily be a pulpit, but there would still be a mass gathering of people. And when he stood in the in, Ephesus and he's preaching the gospel to them, I have to imagine that Paul would have been an emotional preacher. I had to imagine that he probably wept throughout the whole service because he is trying to preach to people the gospel. The same gospel that only a few years ago he was killing people for. Stephen 
one of the first martyrs in the Bible. Paul gave approval. He gave approval to the fact that they had stoned Stephen and killed him. He was a part of that. He was a part of that. The blood of the martyrs were on Paul's hands, literally. And he comes to preach to God's gospel. And, he, and, and I think it's, it's multifaceted for you and I. I think it's two things. Number one, there's nothing you could have done. No sin too great that God can't forgive. Because if I were killing God's people on purpose, intentionally, and God brought me out of that and gave me his grace, what can he do for you? And the second thing that I think Paul emphasizes, you're realizing, is this grace was given to me. It was grace through God. Nothing I've done, nothing I can earn, nothing I've deserved, it's his power in me. It's his words in my mouth. It's his thoughts on my heart. It's his teaching. I'm just going forward in faith and doing what God teaches me to do. And what's God teaching him to do? He's teaching him to preach for the church. Verses 9 through 11. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The surprising thing in verse 10 is not what was made known. It's not what was made known that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. That's not the surprising thing that that was made, that that's what's made known. But the surprising thing in these passages are that the how and whom. First, God's wisdom, God's power, his strength is made known through the very existence of the church. Paul says his intent was that through the church, wisdom would be made known. The church, it's this utensil, the multi-ethnic, multi-diverse, Jew and Gentile, spread about, a crowd, about across the globe. The church is the utensil God uses to help people understand the gospel. It's the, who, the how. The how is through the church. And the to whom. Who, who then is the church doing this? You know, the church is even doing this to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. When he's talking about the rulers and authorities, you look elsewhere in Paul, you look elsewhere in this same passage, that's talking about the evil rulers, the evil principalities, Satan and his demons and his, his armies. Of course, there's, a, there's an instance here, there's a thought here, because if you follow that context, when he uses that term, he's usually talking about Satan and his forces. But it's, 
It's both as well. Other places in scriptures it talks about the angels long to know some of the things that have been revealed to us. The holy, God's holy angels long to see God's plan come to fruition. They don't, always, they don't understand fully the complete plan of God. They're waiting to see as it's being revealed. And Paul, Paul early in the church, of course the angels now know more than they did when he wrote this, but at this early stage in the church, he's saying even the angels are interested in this. But not only the angels, but the rulers and authorities of this world. The one who has power and dominion over this world right now, part of the spiritual forces of evil, even they are being made known this mystery. And this mystery is basically the fact that you are defeated. They're being taught. They're being known. They're acknowledging the fact. They're starting to realize that we thought we had him. We thought we had this church ruined. We thought we had it localized to just the Jews and it wouldn't spread. And then we throw in this mess with the Messiah and we add in some doubt to people about was he really Jesus or not. And Paul is saying, you know what? In the heavenly realms, they're starting to realize they have no control. What they meant for evil, God used for good. What they thought was a great plan was an even better one for God. And so Paul is claiming to be God's servant, to be used by God to preach despite his past and to preach for the church. He's preaching to build up and for the church. And what are the results? The results then are this. Paul feels as though he has freedom and confidence and he feels as though there's glory in suffering. Look at verse 12. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which were for your glory. It brings freedom and confidence to approach God because they know they're a part of this mystery. They're included in the grace. They've been allowed to be partakers in what Jesus Christ is doing. And in Him, and through the faith in Him, we approach God not like the earthly principalities do. We approach God with freedom and we approach God with confidence. That he's listening to me. That he's conversing with me. That he's understanding who I am. That he's given me all of these grace. That he's forgiven my past. And he's concerned with my present. We have this freedom and confidence. Paul's preaching as much to himself. I have freedom and confidence in Christ. And then in verse 13 he says then, as he finishes off his sentence from verse 1, because of all of this, for this reason, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. There's glory in suffering, Paul's teaching. 
Because if suffering means that I preached Christ to you and you accepted him as your savior, then anything that happened after that is worth it. Anything that happens after that is God's plan. Anything that happens after that is bringing God glory. So when I've got been, now he's saying, since I've been locked up in jail and I'm, I'm imprisoned for my preaching, that's for God's glory. My suffering is being used because what happened is they locked up one person. But who was left? The church. The church to carry out the mission that the apostles started. The church to provide and say, you know what? We're going to follow this. We are going to preach the gospel and we're going to preach it with freedom and confidence before God. We're going to preach the gospel in a way that we're not going to be afraid of suffering. We're going to expect suffering to come and when it comes, God's going to receive the glory. I love the 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven passage. I've already shared it in these sermon series, but I have to share it. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Paul says, I don't know any of you. I don't know where you're at with your stories. But I'm the least of these. I'm the bottom shelf of who could be used by God. And anything I do is for him, it's from him, it's through him, and I have freedom and confidence that no matter what it is, God's going to use me for his glory. As we wrap up this morning, Paul's life changes how we view ours. You and I, and I deeply feel this way, we were unlikely candidates of God's grace, just like Paul, just like the church in Ephesus would have felt, just like the readers of these letters feel for generations and generations. We are unlikely candidates of God's grace. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. There's nothing we could do. And we, then, are unlikely candidates of God's grace who are choosing to serve the Lord. That's what Paul did. Despite the problems, despite the issues, despite the persecution, he chose to serve the Lord with confidence and hardship. What's the rich doctrine here? The rich doctrine is that God uses his mystery for his purpose on the earth, in the heavens, in the spiritual realms. The real mystery here that Paul is emphasizing and talking about is that Jew and Gentile can come together for one purpose. The one purpose is to realize we are all on the same playing field. We're all unlikely candidates of God's grace that want to serve the Lord Jesus, even if it's hard even when it doesn't feel right, even when it doesn't go according to my plans. Why? It's part of that mystery that we have our relationship with Christ. Bow in a word of prayer with me. Lord, we thank you for this Sunday morning. 
We thank, you to, where we, we thank you for the fact that we can come to your word this morning, open it up, and see. If Paul was not deserving of grace, how much more are we not deserving of grace? If, if we're the least of these, Lord, and you've forgiven us, then how should we use our lives? We should use our lives for you. We should acknowledge that you've given us this grace, this mystery. And then we should make it known to the world around us. Serving the church, preaching the gospel. Preaching that Jesus came to die on the cross to save sinners just like me. As we focus on communion now, Lord, help us to realize your blood was poured out. It wasn't a sacrifice that was made for no reason. It was made so that way people would come to a knowledge of Jesus as Savior and then that we would serve you. As we acknowledge you before communion this morning, help us to do that, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.